0: Once again, it's a great privilege to be here and to look into your faces, and I understand there's a few of you missing, and so wherever they are, may the Lord bless them. I'd like to ask you to turn in your Bibles, please, to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 5. I've been thinking a great deal about the Beatitudes in these past several weeks, And I'd like to uh, speak on one of those beatitudes this morning. So let's read the first three verses. Not too long a reading. When Jesus saw the crowds, He went up on the mountain, and after He sat down, His disciples came to Him, and He opened His mouth and began to teach them, saying, Blessed are are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. May we reread verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. May God bless the reading of His Word to us. A political analyst wrote some time ago that the battle cry and slogans of the 2008 presidential elections would revolve around one word. And that word is character. And the candidate that, convinced the pub- that can convince the public that he or she is moral, ethical, honest, and portrays good judgment will be elected our next president. And the analyst went on to say that people were tired of lying and cheating and misstatements and misrepresentations and sleaze. This they want as a primary change. And the analyst may very well be right. In this introduction to the Sermon on the Mount, which we call the Beatitudes, Jesus outlines for us what is to be the character of the citizen of the kingdom of God. The character of the citizen of the kingdom of God. And the manner in which Jesus describes the character of these citizens is just nothing short of amazing. It's a reversal of all human evaluations. He was saying that the poor, the mourners, the hungry, the thirsty, the persecuted ones, they are the ones who are blessed. And I find that amazing. When we evaluate people, we look at the rich, the well-fed, the unoppressed, the well-spoken of, and we think of these as the really blessed people. It just ain't so. Jesus really has a way of challenging and reversing a lot of our assumptions and all of our preconceived categories. Even before Jesus gives His sermon, we are, I'm astonished, and I trust you will be too, by the first four chapters in Matthew. It is there that we get an extraordinary view of the person of Jesus. And while the words are simple enough, the description of the Lord Jesus is amazing. And I call those first four chapters in the Gospel of Matthew a prologue, introductory words for the rest of the book. And these four chapters tell us who Jesus is especially when we notice His titles and names in those first four chapters. And I was able to locate at least ten titles and names given to Him in that prologue, the first four chapters of Matthew. And I want you to listen to how Jesus is described in those first four chapters. He is the Messiah. He is the Son of David. He is the Son of Abraham. His name shall be called Jesus for He shall save His people from their sin. He's the Savior. He's Emmanuel, God with us. He's the ruler, the shepherd. He's the Nazarene. He's the baptizer with the Holy Spirit and with fire. He is the one in whom the Father is well pleased. He's the light of the nations. And one can hardly wait to hear what this person has to say. As I was thinking about this, I looked at the jacket of several books I have in my library in order to see what people had to say about the author. And the statements about the author, in most cases, were flattering. They gave many of the author's supposed credentials the other books that he has written, the universities he's attended, the classes and the lectures that he's given all over the world. And the flattery seemed to go on and on and on. But in no way could it match the credentials of the great teacher of the Sermon on the Mount. Now, if the description of the author was intended for us to buy and then read the book, I have to ask, why not some excitement and enthusiasm for our reading of the Holy Scriptures. And I'd like for you to go over those first four chapters and see for yourself who Jesus is. Don't you want to hear what Emmanuel, God with us, has to say? Because He's going to speak in chapter 5. Don't you want to hear the one in whom the Father is well pleased? Don't you want to hear what He's going to teach us? It's in chapter 5 and on. People speak of books as page turners. That is, certain books. And I'd like to suggest that the Gospel of Matthew in chapter 5 is a page turner. Look at that chapter again. And I trust you'll be excited to hear what Jesus has to say in this introduction, the prologue. Well, Jesus wants to bless you. And so He begins with nine blessings and two affirmations that we call the You Are passages. And I'd like to tell you what those... Two, you are passages are. Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. That's what a believer is. Not what he will become. That's what he now is. Did you know that's what you were? That's what you are? You are, if you're a believer in Christ, you are the salt of the earth you are the light of the world wear that proudly before we begin i'd like to ask a question why does jesus stop a successful healing ministry to undertake a teaching ministry And if you still have your Bibles, I want you to look at the healing ministry for just two verses. I want you to notice in chapter 4 of Matthew, in verses 23 and 24. It says there, Jesus was going throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, And proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness among the people. And I suggest that every means every. Verse 24, the news about him spread throughout all Syria and they brought to him all who were ill. Those suffering with various diseases and pains, demoniacs, epileptics, paralytics. And he healed them. Why does Jesus stop a successful healing ministry to undertake a teaching ministry? Why interrupt action with talk? I'd like to suggest one simple answer. Jesus wants to practice preventative medicine. Not just curative to do public health and not just surgery. And so that's what He does, I believe, in the Sermon on the Mount. And when we look at the Beatitudes closely, we notice that each of the nine perfectly describes the Lord Jesus. When Jesus pronounces a blessing on the meek, He does it as the One who Himself was the meekest of them all. When the merciful are promised mercy, it is the one who is full of mercy who makes the promise. When the pure of heart receive assurance that they shall see God, the one who gives this assurance is also the person of whom it was said in Him was no sin nor guile found in His mouth. The qualities of character that Jesus asks of us, He Himself possesses In infinite degree. And that's why his teaching is so powerful. So dynamic. So life changing. A Christianity that lacks the qualities of the Beatitudes, lacks vitality, lacks in fact life. A Christianity who has and lives these graces is a channel of blessing to all mankind. The Beatitudes. Blessings. Each Beatitude consists of three parts. First, Jesus pronounces the blessing. He begins each with the words, Blessed are. Blessed are. Rather than, Now, you know, you must do the following. He doesn't say that. He says, Blessed are. Secondly, we have a description of the people who are blessed. And thirdly, we have the promise which fulfills the word blessed. So I want us to look at all three parts as we think of this first beatitude in verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And the word blessed is a very interesting and wonderful word the greeks taught or thought that their gods were always having a good time up there they were always having a party they're always laughing and joking and doing all kinds of wonderful things that people thought would was a characteristic of the word happy and the word that they used to describe their gods is the same word we have in our text and that Greek word is makarios. Maybe you've heard of that of as the name of one of the uh, Greek uh, prime ministers. The word means happy. It means enriched. It means contented. It means fulfilled. We need to note that the state of blessedness or being happy is really a byproduct of something. It never just happens All by itself. How it happens relates to the character of the person and the promise made by Jesus in each of the Beatitudes. Interestingly, there are a number of promoters in the world that are telling us how to be happy. And sometimes they tell us, you know, if you buy a beautiful quality home from this particular builder, you're going to be happy or buy this beachfront property with its beautiful marina and let the warm breezes sweep over your body and you will be sure to be happy if you buy that kind of a home. The kind of happiness that Jesus speaks of is without price. It is the kind of happiness that money cannot buy. And the Beatitudes are, in a sense, the keys To real happiness. The first description or attitude of such a blessed person is the one who is poor in spirit. I've already suggested that the world says something quite different. Instead of blessed are the poor in spirit, the world says blessed are the rich, those with large bank accounts. Blessed are the rich in their materialism. Blessed are the rich in their possessions. It's important to note that God never made our soul so small that the whole that the whole world would satisfy it. Perhaps you remember Blaise Pascal and that wonderful statement that he made: that God, that our that our soul that our heart has a God-shaped vacuum. And only, only God can fill it. It is also important to note that Jesus does not pronounce these people blessed just because they're below the poverty line. They may very well be there. The poor man is no nearer the kingdom of heaven than the rich man if he has not believed in Jesus Christ. If he has not trusted Him. The poor in the gospel are mainly societies marginated. There's a good word that I just coined. Are mainly societies marginated people. They live on the margins. They live on the edges. It's the city's underclass. The worldwide wretched of the earth. And Jesus' beatitudes blesses persons Not because of their virtues, but because of their inadequacies. And those now on top will be on the bottom. And those on the lowest of the low will be lifted very high. If they know Jesus. Those called, those called blessed are poor in spirit. It's poverty of spirit. And what does that mean? It's basically an attitude I have about myself. It is not the attitude of self-reliance. It's not the attitude that I'm the cat's meow. You know what I mean by that. It's not the attitude expressed in the poem Invictus. You remember that poem where the writer says that he is the captain or the master of his own destiny? the captain of his soul. What arrogance. What arrogance. And maybe you remember the Peanuts cartoon of some time ago in which Charlie Brown says, I wish I were a world-famous, humble country doctor. (laughs) Now, that's the wrong attitude. (laughs) And then there was the cartoon that showed a man bowed in prayer, and he was praying, Oh God, can you help me? I really need your help, but please, could you sort of make it look like I did it all by myself? That's the wrong attitude. The wrong attitude is condemned by Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount when He says, when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets. When you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street just to be seen by men. Now, Jesus doesn't condemn giving. He does not condemn praying, but He does condemn the attitude of pride, and he condemns hypocrisy. It also does not mean weak or lacking in courage. It doesn't mean always standing in the background. It doesn't mean suppressing our personalities and speaking with a pious voice and having a somber face and soulful eyes. So, what does it mean? I think it means something like the spirit of Moses who felt unworthy of the task that God had given him. It is like David when he said, Lord, who am I that You should come to me? It is like the Apostle Peter when he came to the house of Cornelius with the Gospel. You remember that Cornelius fell at Peter's feet. And began to worship, but Peter said, Stand up. I too am just a man. What do you think of that being the first pope? (laughs) There's no pretense here. None. It's like the Apostle Paul who wrote, Men ought to regard us as servants of Christ. Servants. No big wheels. To be poor in spirit means absence of pride. An absence of the arrogant and self-reliant attitude. It means one who stands without pretense, waiting empty-handed before God is their only hope. Jesus blesses the spiritually inadequate. It's acknowledging that my hands are empty. And that only God can fill them. It means one is so poor that they can offer to God nothing and don't even try. They cry for mercy and they are heard. The poor in spirit are those who believe that salvation is by grace and grace alone apart from works. I have nothing to do with my salvation. Except, Lord, have mercy. Amen. Let's look at the promise of Jesus that He makes through the poor in spirit. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I want to go back to the word blessed just for a moment. I define it as happiness and that's largely correct but it also can be misleading and I don't want to mislead. Happiness is a byproduct. Happiness is an internal response to what's going on in our lives. Yet what seems to be going on in the lives of the people the Beatitudes is talking about would hardly by itself bring about the feeling of happiness. And I want to just ask a few questions with regard to this. Does mourning by itself bring happiness? Does persecution by itself bring happiness? Does an insult or someone speaking evil about you all by itself bring about happiness? I hardly think so. The great reason for happiness in these verses rests not on that internal feeling, but on the point of view of our Lord. In our verse, it rests on the view of the Lord Jesus. He's the one who pronounces the people blessed. And so, what does Jesus see? He sees people who trust Him alone for salvation. To whom shall we go? Is the attitude of the poor in spirit. To whom shall we go for? You have the words of eternal life. We can go to no other. That's an attitude of the poor in spirit. He sees people who are humble enough to admit their need of God in their lives. Lord, I'm not that self-reliant person at all. And I bow in your presence. He sees people who have given up trying to earn enough brownie points. He sees people who are saying, Lord, help me. Lord, help me. And to these people, Jesus promises the blessedness of the kingdom of heaven. And the kingdom of heaven is that place where I have become a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is that place where Jesus is king. Where he is Lord. It's the place where I am fully accepted and loved. The the kingdom of heaven is the place of righteousness. And truth, where all the people are poor in spirit and humble and meek and pure in heart, etc. Can you imagine a world where all the people were meek and humble and pure in heart? What in the world would they say at the six o'clock news? The last thing I want you to notice is that this promise, while it has a future fulfillment, it is written in the present tense. Did you notice that? This means that we have the possibility of enjoying many of the features of the kingdom of heaven now. You have that possibility now, today. I find that pretty exciting. Are you poor in spirit? Blessed are you then. For you, for you, for you, for me. It's the kingdom of heaven. And that's where Jesus is. That's where he reigns. I'm one of its citizens now. And it means that I have bowed my knees before the King. I acknowledge Jesus as my Lord. May the Lord help us to enjoy the kingdom of heaven today. It's not pie in the sky by and by. It's all the good things that Jesus gives, starting today. Today. May He help us to exhibit the characteristic we've been talking about this morning poor in spirit. Poor in spirit. May we pray together. Father, thank you for this little verse in the Bible. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Father, we thank you that you took the time to teach your disciples and the crowds with regard to this Great beatitude, this great blessing. Father, we we thank you for the promise of the kingdom of heaven. It goes so far beyond the imagination of men who think. That blessing can be obtained through material means. And Father, we do pray for each person here this morning that there might be a real rejoicing and a gladness and a happiness that knows no bounds simply because we belong to You and are part of that kingdom of heaven where You are King of kings and Lord of lords. So, Father, we give You thanks us as we leave this place. We leave, for, we leave from one another, but we don't leave you, nor do you leave us. And we give you thanks. Thank you, Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.